0: Are going to open up God's Word together. If you've got a Bible with you, now is the moment to find it, either in digital or analog form. And if you don't have a Bible, you can always download one. You can just go onto wherever you get your apps from, just type the word Bible in, and it's usually the very first recommendation is the one that we re- recommend. So uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to work our way through uh, the journey of Matthew chapter 18 over time. And so you definitely will want something in front of you to refer to. I remember uh, a really, really intense conversation with Taryn's granddad just before we moved to Scotland 20 years ago. And it was was like a really, really intense moment. He beckoned me in, he held up his finger towards me, and he said, now, Chuck, listen, if I was going to move to Scotland, there is one thing that I would do before I moved. And I was fascinated. I was thinking, what on earth are you going to say? He said, I would visit... B and Q, and make sure that you buy as much things as you might need, because there won't be a B and Q in Scotland. Well, uh, I was kind of t- trying to push back a little bit. Like, I'm sure there'll probably be something a bit like a B and Q in Scotland. He was like, No, I was in Scotland during the war, and there was no B and Q. Imagine his delight when he came up to visit. Uh, He's such a legend. Uh, when he came up to visit about a year later, and we were able to show him round, not one, but 2 being and And we also showed him this shop, which n- now most people in Aberdeen have forgotten about, but it was the most unbelievable shop you've ever seen in your life. It was called The Big W. And it was, I'm pretty confident about this, it was the world's biggest Woolworth store uh, down at the beach in Aberdeen. And you could buy literally anything in there. And I think probably the world wasn't really ready for the Big W because uh, it didn't last long. And let's be honest, after that, Woolworths didn't last long either. But this place, the Big W, was the, the place where I witnessed one of the most bizarre moments of my life and what it was was there were two old ladies they must have been knocking on 90 each one of them and they were literally fighting like fighting over a discounted mop and it was a little bit like um, you know on uh, Bridget Jones's diary with Hugh what's his name and the other guy when they are like fight. these two nonagenarian ladies were fighting over a, a discounted mop and the truth that i learned on that day and i've learned many times since is this. Growing old and growing up are not the same thing. And that's true of faith, isn't it, as well? Growing old in the faith is definitely not the same thing as growing up in the faith. In our church, we've been pursuing truly biblical maturity and we've been asking ourselves what does that really look like and we've discovered that you don't measure biblical maturity in years you measure it in depth you measure it in richness in intimacy in power in in love and uh, the 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 idea that I'm going to look at today is what does it look like to be relationally mature to be mature in the way that we relate to one another Um. The quality of our relationships, the way that we relate to one another is an indicator of the depth of our discipleship. The way that we walk with God is demonstrated in the way that we walk with other people. And um, among many other things that Jesus said on this subject, he said this in John 13, verse 34, he said, a new command, note the word command, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, it's impossible to be to to love and to be loved by Jesus and for that to not have a radical effect on the way that I relate to other people. Um, which is how we arrived at Matthew chapter 18, because Matthew has arranged in Matthew chapter 18 a, a, a group of the teachings of Jesus that all relate specifically to relationships. It's like a, 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 a tied together little group of little depth charges that all teach into this subject. And um, uh, what we're going to find is that there are four choices that we can make that will lead to a maturity in our relationships, four choices. But before we do that, let me just summarise perhaps the most important central theme of Matthew chapter 18. And and I want to summarise it in three words. You have choices. You have choices in the way that you do relationships. You see, increasingly in wider society, um, relationships are talk, uh, talked about as things that happen to us over which we have limited control. You know, the idea is that we're kind of victims of our genetics. You know, well, my, my dad had a short fuse, my granddad had a short fuse, so I've got a short fuse, and there's literally nothing I can do about it. Or we're victims of our upbringing. You know, I, 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 it's just the way I saw my parents relate, and so now that's how I relate. Or we're victims of our circumstances, or of our hormones, or like kind of chemistry. You know, well, we just don't get on. There's nothing I can do about it. Or we're victims of the universe. You know, the stars aligned for a particular period of time, and so I was able to have this relationship. But then the stars unaligned, and so the relationship kind of drifted. And and I'm just powerless against the universe, and so the golden thread that runs through the passage uh, of Matthew chapter 18 is actually an incredibly empowering truth. We have choices. We're not just victims of our circumstances. It's not just potluck whether or not our relationships succeed. There are choices that we can make with our will, with our, um, with our own internal decision that will affect Whether our marriages, our friendships, our other relationships, our churches make it through the long haul. There are choices that we can make. Immaturity in relationships just kind of throws its hands up and shrugs its shoulders and said, well, nothing I could do. Maturity in relationships says I'm going to engage my will, I'm going to make choices that might just change the outcome. And so as briefly as I can manage, here are the four choices. Choice number one, I'm going to embrace humility. Let's read from Matthew 18, verse 1. It says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Some friends of ours went to uh, go and serve some of the poorest people in the world in southern Africa, in a whole bunch of villages in the valleys there. And um, it it just so happened that they... uh, recently had a a little baby boy, and so they took the little baby boy with them. And as they went around these villages in the valleys, all the women would come out of their homes, and they would point towards this little baby, and they would all say the same thing. They would go, wow, fatty, 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 like that, which in their culture, in their circumstances, was like a really affirming and encouraging thing. My friends, yeah, not so much. The point is... Every community has a pecking order. Every community on earth has a way of establishing power. Every society has at its heart a sense of competition. And it may be on a different scale and with different values, but everyone on earth in their communities is competing against one another. Except the church. In the church, we don't compete. Jesus said, the people who are the very greatest in my kingdom are those who what who take the lowly place they're people who say i'm not going to compete with you i'm not going to try and demonstrate how superior i am i'm not even going to really make sure that you understand that i'm right jesus is calling us to em- embrace the place of humility And in fact, to go further than that, to elevate and give prominence to to the last and the least in the community. In a way that is radically different from every community on the face of the earth. It's a powerful decision in our relationships if we choose to embrace humility. That's the first choice. The second choice is this. I'm going to chase holiness. I don't know whether you came across this in the news recently, but there was an international incident between France and Belgium. And it was completely by accident. There was a farmer in Belgium, and he'd been driving his tractor around his farm in a particular way for years. And there was this big stone in the middle of the the track that was driving him crazy. And so in the end, he said, "You know, I'm just going to dig that stone up and move it. And so he dug up this stone and he moved it two metres and 29 centimetres to one side, and then he just carried on driving his tractor. But what he didn't know was that that stone had been put there in 1819, and was actually the marker of the border between France and Belgium. And so he had accidentally uh, you know, created a diplomatic incident because he had changed the shape of both countries just with a digger. And isn't that the way that we can so easily drift in our own sense of what's right and wrong you know without very much consideration or thought we just stretch the boundaries of what we tolerate in our own lives Uh, you know that the border between faithfulness and sinfulness the the boundary between honoring god and really just honouring ourselves. We stretch the boundaries of what we're willing to tolerate. But James, in James chapter 4 verse 1, he says this. What causes fights among you? That's a great question, isn't it? What, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What is the cause of relational breakdown and pain, I wonder? Well, what, his answer is this. He says, what causes fights among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you in other words there's no such thing as personal sin my brokenness my shame my envy my bitterness my resentment becomes your problem it leaks out my sin contaminates my relationships and so therefore jesus says matthew chapter 18 here we are again verse 7 He says, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. The second choice that will be a a step towards maturity in my relationships will have a huge impact on the, the way that I relate to other people is to declare war on my own brokenness. It's a choice to embrace and to pursue holiness. Choice number three when it comes to relational maturity is to pursue the wanderer. Let's jump to verse 12. Jesus says this, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Do you know what I found fascinating when I was studying this is that that parable about the lost sheep and the the shepherd who goes looking for the lost sheep, in Luke's gospel, it comes in the context of a a set of parables, the lost coin and um, the lost son as well. And it's clearly a... a, um, A parable that communicates the gospel that God is a pursuer. He pursues lost people. He comes looking for you. In in fact, if you're not a Christian today, perhaps the one thing that you need to take from this today is God is pursuing you in his love. But what's really interesting is that Matthew groups this parable in a a, a different way and and clearly Jesus used that parable to illustrate different things because here he's talking about not that God is someone who pursues people but that we're to be people who pursue people. And the reason I know that is because the very next verse, verse 15, says, if your brother or sister sins, go and find them. We're supposed to be people who pursue the wanderer. Do you know, um, when I was a teenager, I wanted to, to pretty much spend my time doing anything where my parents weren't. And then over the course of my teenage years, I came to realize that they were actually better company than I had given them credit for. And so in my late teens, probably 18 years old or something like that, I started to play tennis with my dad. And we would go, uh, he belonged to a tennis club, and so I joined the tennis club. And we would go and play tennis together, uh, uh, you know, every Saturday and uh, sometimes in the week as well. And it was a really fun thing to do that we enjoyed, just one another's company in doing that. When I was 22, my dad quite suddenly died. And I'm sure you can imagine, tennis just didn't feel the same after that. And so actually, with the exception uh, of one time... I never went back to that tennis club again. And do you know what? They never phoned. They never sent me a letter. They never just came knocking on the door. Hey, we're missing you. You're not here. you, You used to come to the tennis club all the time. Where are you? They never chased me. I never went back there ever again. And I never heard from them ever again. Jesus is saying in this parable, not so with you. We're supposed to be the kind of community that pursues people. Even if the relationship feels absolutely done, we pursue people. That's what we do. And uh, choice number four, I'm going to have the crucial conversation. Uh, This section of Matthew 18 is probably what what Matthew 18 is most famous for. And uh, let's just read a few verses. Verse 15. If your brother or sister sins... And uh, I don't know whether you've ever asked yourself the question, how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? I think the answer to that is he loved them and he pursued them. And uh, he called them to repentance. But whether they repented or not, he still loved them. And so that's what we should do. Okay, so I'm just going to come out and say it. like The truth is, no one likes an awkward conversation. No one. And least of all, do we like a conversation that happens as a result of someone causing us pain? You know, someone does something, they say something either intentionally or unintentionally. None of us like to go and have a conversation with them about that. Least of all, if we're British. And so often what we try to do is to soften the pain, to to kind of soften the blow in one of three different ways. The first option is denial. We just say to ourselves, do you know what? I'm just going to pretend it never happened. And I'm just going to sweep it all under the carpet. The problem is that might seem like a good idea, but it's very easy to fall over when you've got lumpy carpets. The second option um, is, is delay. We say, do you know what? Time is a great healer. I'm just going to leave it. Now, the, the truth is, That that axiom, time is a great healer, is something that has been observed to be true by literally no one ever. You know, like, if that was true, time is a great healer, then A&E waiting times would be a good thing. You know, you'd get to A and E. You'd have limbs falling off, and, and uh, you know, skin missing from one side of your body. You just had some kind of horrific accident. You you know, you'd go up to the lady at the desk, and she'd say, "Just wait there for two or three hours. You'll be absolutely fine." They, that's not what they do, is it? Time is not a great healer. When you leave things that are sore, they fester, and they get infected, and they cause even more pain. The third option. For dealing with relational pain, which is something that I heard somebody call, call it once, triangling. It goes something like this. Hey, you know, um, Larry, listen, uh, that guy Barry over there, he's really hurt me. He did something really, really awful. Can I tell you about it? And so I tell Larry all about my pain and how it all went. I say, he's such a bad person, that Barry. Terrible. Could you just go and have a word with him and just let him know how much I'm hurting? You see, it's like a forming a, a triangle. And so, you know, obviously, I can't remember the names now. If, 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 <laughs> if, if, if Larry takes that on board, he's going to go. He's going to go to Barry. He's going to say, Barry you know, I've heard what you've done. It's terrible. You know, I've heard all about his pain and his. And uh, you need to do something about that. Well, at this point, Barry says, what are you talking about? I'm horrified that that's what he said to you. Let me tell you what he's done to me. And so, uh, you know, and so there's a couple of things that happen with the triangling thing. The first problem is that it just goes on forever. He said, she said, he said, she said, it just goes round and round in circles. The second problem is, that it's really delicious, it feels great. And so I'm gonna tell Larry, and then you know he's on my side, he's sympathetic, and so I'm gonna tell uh, Harry, and Harriet, and Barbara, and Gertrude, and Dolly, and all these other people, I'm gonna tell all these people about what Barry's done. In fact, I'm gonna to speak to nearly everyone on the face of the earth, except the one person who caused me pain. And Jesus says, that's not how it's it's going to be in the church. Jesus says, in the community of the church, at some point, someone's going to cause you pain. Like, it's just going to happen. And when they do, you have a choice. You can deny, you can delay, you can triangle. They're all bad choices. A better choice is to go quickly to the person who's caused you the pain. And have the crucial conversation. Hey, I don't know whether you realise, but that thing that you did, that thing that you said, I don't know whether you meant to or not, but I felt really hurt by that. And then either they're gonna be horrified or they, they're gonna say, Oh, oh, you're right. I, I I did mean to do that, but but I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. Uh, or they're going to say, no, I completely disagree with you. In In which case, you know, Jesus says, having gone quickly to have that conversation, from now on, everything goes slowly. The escalation is slow. I'm going to take one or maybe two other people. I'm going to have another conversation. Then if that doesn't work, I'm going to take some more people. And then, if that doesn't work, I'm going to take some more people. Just gradually increasing over time. Immaturity in relationships, delays or denies or triangles. Maturity says, I'm, going, I'm just going to have the crucial conversation with the person involved. And so four choices. I'm going to embrace humility. I'm going to chase holiness. I'm going to pursue wanderers. And I'm going to have the crucial conversation. Let me just finish by praying a blessing over you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make his love increase and overflow. I'll start again. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Amen. Amen.